Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is The Fields. My name is Emilio Calderon, and we're going to be taking a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly in the beautiful game from this past weekend. And there was a lot of ugly this past weekend in particular. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about, some very interesting developments in the title and relegation races in the Premier League, how the title race is shaping up in the Bundesliga, the title race in Serie A, and the big one in La Liga from this past weekend, which was, of course, El Clásico. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, so let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. All right, starting with my favorite league in the whole wide world, the beautiful, terrible, sloppy mess that is the Premier League. Uh, we're going to get the ugly out of the way first, which means uh, we're going to start with uh, Leicester City 1, Arsenal 0. I have one thing in my notes, and it says, and I quote, holy shit, this was terrible. And if you didn't watch this, yeah, it was terrible. Uh, there were 18 shots in the whole game. Yes, 18 between the two teams. Uh, Arsenal took 12 in the whole game. Um, I should preface this by saying this was a game of two halves. And I don't mean that in a good way. <laughs> uh, Arsenal dominated the first half, if we can call it that. Uh, they had 11 shots in the first half. Leicester had one, I think. And went into the break at nil-nil. And in the second half, Arsenal had one shot and Leicester had five. Yeah, this was uh, this was not good. Um, I'm just going to start with Arsenal. Uh, I said it last week. Uh, the big problem is they can't generate offense. Mikel um, Arteta appears to prefer no pattern of play uh, going forward. Uh, his only preference for this team is to make every game as ridiculously boring as possible by maintaining possession in their own half of the pitch and then in the middle third and then really doing nothing with it because they don't make runs in behind and they don't uh, make any like diagonal or like line breaking runs uh, they don't link well like particularly well in any areas of the pitch really all their offense kind of just comes from individual uh creativity yeah this team is just not good uh, i'd rather not spend any time uh crapping on them or just talking about how bad one team is uh that is not to say the Leicester were that much better again they only had six shots in the whole game uh it was a very Leicester goal uh telemans put a ball over the top for chengiz on there who uh found uh, Jamie Vardy at the far post who headed into a relatively empty goal. Um, yeah, this game is bad. I didn't learn a lot. Honestly, I don't think I can say I learned anything about this team. Actually, that's not true. Um, so last week I said this game would be about this game would teach us more about these teams, European credentials. I think at the very least less I still don't have any like concrete opinions on Leicester, but I think they they're still in it. They're still considerable option to finish top six. Arsenal, uh, Arsenal definitely aren't finishing top six. I'm sorry. Um, I just can't find ways to be optimistic about this team, and I'm saying this personally as a Manchester City supporter who watched them totally snuff out the FA Cup semifinal in the last season against us. Um, yeah, this team just consistently is not good enough. Like Arteta has shown that in big games, he knows how to like snuff out uh, opposing attacks. But 
this team just doesn't do anything for me going forward. Uh, moving on from that uh, shit show is another wonderful uh, game of football, which was uh, Manchester United nil, uh, Chelsea nil. Uh, the first thing I have in my notes here is nope, 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 nope. And then in all caps, nope. <laughs> now, this game similarly uh, was not very entertaining. Um, for the third game in a row, uh, Paul Pogba did not start, which is just mind-boggling to me that you have Paul Pogba and Donny van de Beek, and they do not start three games, three games which you've played in the span of a week, and instead Fred and, St- and Scott McTominay start all three games. And this isn't meant to slander Fred and Scott McTominay. It's just someone who is a big believer in good resource allocation, especially in men's football where we spend uh, uh, 50 plus million on single players. Um, I just think that if you have spent 150 million euros on Paul Pogba and Dan- Donny van de Beek, you should probably be playing them more than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is playing them. And that's really all I have to say on the matter. Uh, Anthony Martial was suspended for this game, so Juan Mata and Danny James started. Um, yeah, Danny James just isn't at a top six like level. Like he just really shouldn't be starting for a club like this. Uh, Juan Mata, Juan Mata looked good against Newcastle, but that's a uh, Steve Bruce managed Newcastle. Uh, yeah, this team really needs help offensively. Um, I don't think it can be stressed enough that. They really should have just coughed up the dough for Jane Sancho. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of problems with this team. Uh, Alex Tejas, um was a good purchase, but uh, I mean, their back four, or not their back four, I'd say Tej and Juan Basaka is a good fullback pairing going forward, but uh, Harry Maguire um, just isn't very convincing, and if he's not very convincing, I'd hate to see, I mean, all right, I'm not even going <laughs> to... I'm going to leave it at Harry Maguire is not very good. And I don't want to talk about any other Manchester United center back. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I have no other words to think of. They should have just bought Jane Sancho. This team is not very good. Uh, that said, uh, they'll be better once Marshall is back from suspension. Uh, the problem is they're going to need more goals because they rely so heavily on Rashford and Martial. They're really the only sources of goals. Like they both, they're responsible for both creating the chances and scoring them. And then Mason Greenwood just—I mean, it's only six games in the season, but it's safe. I think it's safe to say that he's not going to recreate what he did last season. So yeah, this team is not a help. Uh, but Edison Cavani came on in the second half and he looked okay. Um, he's not going to set the world on fire. But that's 10, 15 goals that Rashford and Martial are not going to get themselves. And that's also hopefully less games they'll have to start. So uh, it feels a little uh, rude considering the career that Edison Cavani has. And I still think he is. He's definitely not like the elite forward he was at Napoli and in uh, the middle PSG years. But I still think he's a starter quality forward and he'll give good competition for Rashford and Martial. Uh, as for Chelsea, 
Um, uh, I hated this. <laughs> yeah, I hated this. Um, they went with a, a three at the back, uh, Kurt Zuma, Tiago Silva, and Cesar Spelicueta. Uh, ben Chilwell and Rich James were the fullbacks, so it was a, a defensive line of five with a five, uh, the wingbacks went forward. Um, Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic and Kai Havertz started, uh, so that meant Hakim Ziyech and Mason Mount were on the bench. Um, this team is frustrating because it has plenty of attacking talent, but the amount of defen- poor defensive showings that Lampard has had, or sh- that his sides have had in the past year, and especially to start the season, has now scared him into thinking he needs to go defensive, which is good because it's, I mean, there are a lot of ways can spin this. I don't know if you want to go, like, I don't know if this is humbling or if this is practical. I mean, it is practical, but uh, I don't know. I just think if you're going to spend that much money on attackers, you should probably be playing them. Like, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I guess that's really the one big thing to get from this game is that OGS and Lampard are boring. And that's fine. I mean, with United, it's more of a personnel issue. Um, even if you do bring Pogba and Van de Beek into the mix, uh, they still don't have enough goals in them. And for Chelsea, it's that the goals hypothetically are there, but defensively, they're just not very good. And their midfield isn't great. Like... Angola Conte is not the same Angola Conte he was. Jorginho is Jorginho. And Kovacic and Mount are both very good. But I think, like, for a team with ambitions like Chelsea, Kovacic and Mount are like your third midfielder. Like, they're the guy who's good and they're just meant to be not the wink link. And that's it. Um, yeah, nil-nil. Great game. <laughs> uh, oh, but there was one very good, very exciting uh, game, and it was the Friday night game, actually. And it was a very surprising result. Uh, Leeds pummeled. Uh, pummeled is uh, unflattering to Villa, who are not that bad on the day, but uh, Leeds beat Aston Villa uh, 3-0. Um, last week, I brought up how Calvin Phillips was injured with, or he's out with an ankle injury. He could be out for more than a month, and they looked really good without him. Uh, Patrick Bamford started again, obviously, and they uh, started Matthias Klitsch and uh, Pascal Stroik in midfield. And what they did instead was they played uh, Rodrigo as a number 10, or not really a number 10. Uh, kind of just like a second striker playing underneath Bamford. And so he did a lot of off-ball work uh, defensively and with a lot of off-ball runs, which allowed Bamford to have impact by staying in and around the 18. And, of course, he bagged a hat-trick. So, uh, yeah, this is 2020, guys. Patrick Bamford has a hat-trick in the Premier League. This is 2020. Embrace it. Um, (laughs) uh, The one thing about Leeds is their wing plate is consistently very good. Uh, this game, it was Jack Harrison and Alioski on the left side and Helder Costa and Stuart Ellis on the right side. Um, even without Calvin Phillips to distribute the ball side to side, um, 
that that instead that responsibility was kind of just split between Klitsch and Stork to go side to side, and whichever side they went to, uh, they combined very well. Uh, Jack Harrison had a tough game with Matty Cash, who looked very good at right back for Villa and is looking like one of the more solid right backs in the league, actually. Um, but his combination with Alyaska was was okay this game. No, it wasn't his best game this season. Uh, but Helzer Costa is looking like one of the better signings of the season. Um, uh, warning signs for Villa, uh, I would say, eh. I think this is mostly just a live and die by the sword kind of game. Um, I mean, they blitzed Liverpool in that 7-2 win. And they played the same way in this game. Uh, Jack Grealish got up and down the field a lot and like a lot. Uh, Ross Barkley uh, is Ross Barkley. He doesn't do a lot defensively. He's going to leave a lot of gaps in uh, behind him. And Leeds uh, took advantage of his def- of him being a defensive liability. Um, basically, this is Villa coming back down to earth. Um, their attack is too good, is really good, and their defense is solid enough. Uh, despite having narrowly avoided relegation last season, I, I think it's clear in retrospect now that that was mostly due to not having a number nine. And now with Ollie Watkins holding up the middle of the pitch, I think they're going to be fine for the rest of the season. And the same goes for Leeds. Um, I think a lot of people could have agreed that Leeds probably wouldn't get relegated. And I think it's safe to say now with the performances we've seen out of them that they won't. So, yeah, good 3-0 win for Leeds. Uh, there's no good losses in uh, in soccer, I think, but this was humbling for Villa. And I think this will be good for them to figure out how uh, how they approach teams with open attacks like Leeds. And yeah, that's about it for the Premier League. And on to the Bundesliga. Uh, just three games I wanted to cover very quickly. Uh, the first one is Bayern Munich 5, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. Um, I said last week that this could be an interesting battle to see how uh, Bayern Munich would cope with uh, Frankfurt's physical, uh, very physical midfield and uh, their strike partnership. And uh, yeah, uh, neither of that happened. Uh, Bayern uh, totally outrun Frankfurt here. And yeah, I think I'd like, like on a very selfish level, I'd like to see some kind of gap in Bayern. I mean, if there is a gap, it really is like their midfield kind of, which is in the very best defensively. But their midfield is very good because there are no real defensive liabilities and everyone and it uh, distributes and holds the ball very well. Uh, so basically, Bayern Munich are fine. Uh, this is their league to lose. Uh, the second game is Dortmund 3, Schalke 0. Um, I only bring this up to say that I think this could be the year. Like, Schalke are bad. Like, they're really bad. Um, there's no clear... Uh, like stand out on this team. Like I don't know where their goals are supposed to come from. Uh, they create nothing offensively. They struggle to get the ball up the pitch and they're struggling to keep other teams from getting the ball up the pitch against them. This could finally be the year that Schalke go down, I think, having flirted with disaster the past uh, half decade. 
And then, of course, Dortmund are fine. Of course, like Bayern, uh, offensively, at least. I mean, Schalke weren't really going to give them any problems unless by hook or crook somehow they had scored the opening goal. Um, but, um, yeah, Dortmund will have future tests. I mean, the thing is with Dortmund, it's a matter of uh, when we get to the end of the season, how are they going to play? Because it's really just what we wait for with Dortmund. Uh, the self-destruct button is there. It's just a matter of uh, are they going to push it? Are they? Uh, but uh, I have no reason. I have no uh, no red flags on them right now. And the third game is uh, involves the third title challenger in the Bundesliga, in my opinion, and that is RB Leipzig, who uh, beat Hertha Berlin uh, 2-1. And the same thing with them. Um, I think they look fine. Uh, they have a lot, uh, a lot of good things for them going forward. Uh, Angelino is one of the best attacking fullbacks in Europe right now. Uh, Christopher Nkunku looks like he may be taking like the big leap. Um, he's always looked good in the numbers. Uh, he's a good ball progressor. He's a good dribbler. Uh, he creates chances uh, very consistently, uh, whether that's centrally or, I mean, he mostly plays centrally, but uh, his passing range is very good. Um, yeah, this, I think uh, Leipzig may have their guy here. That is, this, uh, I mean, their next guy because uh they still have a guy and his name is marcel sabitzer <laughs> and sabitzer continues to be uh one of the best workhorses in europe like he's basically papu gomez but younger oh and he also contributes defensively <laughs> um yeah i mentioned I, ironic it's ironic that i bring up papu gomez uh because i have concerns bo- about both leipzig and atalanta in that their offense comes from various different outlets, which is good. But I think with teams like this, like when you're challenging for titles and you're challenging in Europe, um, where is like your go-to person here? And it's not very clear with Leipzig without Timo Werner. And that's like a boo-hoo, that's like a oh, boohoo, woe is me kind of deal. I mean, like Leipzig have way more attacking talent than like, a lot of teams, but um, I'm just curious going forward, like who will be the person to take the reins? And I mean, that very well could be in Kunku or Sabitzer, but uh, I think we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Bayern Munich are still my favorites, but it's still early. So let's see how the season shapes up. Speaking of everyone's favorite team in the world, <laughs> we can move on to Italy and Serie A. Uh, unfortunately for Atalanta, they lost this past weekend to Sampdoria 3-1. Uh, the way I'll put this is, uh, these are the kind of games that prevent Atalanta from being taken seriously as title contenders. Uh, to my point that I brought up about Leipzig, uh, it also applies to Atalanta in that both teams uh, have very good attacking options going forward. Like They have a lot of good attacking options going forward, but they need that one or two that one great attacking option that they can always turn to. Um, Atlanta had a lot of the ball in and around Sampdoria's penalty area, but they struggled. They really struggled to create clear-cut chances. Like, if you look at the shot map for this, uh, like, all you see is a lot of ants. Like, there's a lot of dots outside of the 18-yard box, especially in front of the 18-yard box. Uh, So they really struggled to break down Sampdoria, and they were just taking pot shots for the most part. 
Um, Sam Thornton, on the other hand, were clinical on the break. Uh, they, they took uh, the few chances they had. Um, yeah, Atalanta, this is going to be a humbling experience for them. I mean, the rational person could go, maybe they need to control the ball more. Um, maybe they need to learn how to break down deep blocks. Uh, but that's just not how Gian Piero Gasparini works. The guy's just going to throw men forward. And while my brain hates it, my heart loves it. And who am I to strip the world of the joy that that is Atalanta? <laughs> um, there was another game I want to talk about in Serie A from this weekend. And it was the game of the weekend for Europe, for sure. It was uh, AC Milan 3, uh, Roma 3. Uh, the two big things I got from this game are that Zlatan Ibrahimovic defies aging. And that Roma are good. And I hesitate to say that, but I think they're good. Um, I'll start with Roma. Um, I don't have a lot to say about them. Uh, Edin Dzeko is Edin Dzeko. Uh, he can, continues to be one of the best poachers in Europe. I'm just, I'm not a fan of the personnel behind him. And this game, uh, they played uh, with a five back, which is basically like a five it was almost like a 5-4-1 almost uh, but behind him was uh, in terms of attacking options was Henrik Mkhitaryan and Pedro and uh, no offense to Serie A fans but I think it's kind of a poor reflection of your league when Henrik Mkhitaryan and Pedro are running attacks in 2020 <laughs> um yeah, I, again, I'm just not a huge fan of this Roma side. Uh, Nicola Zaniolo is uh, injured, of course. Uh, but Jordan Veritu is and Lorenzo Pellegrini are very good as a midfield duo. Uh, so they have a very solid uh, defense and midfield to build with. Um, as for Milan, uh, this was uh, a good game for a young Milan side to have to, uh, fi- to have to fight a much more experienced Roma side. I mean, like, this is a really young... Uh, Milan side if you haven't like paid attention uh, Ibrahimovic is of course the massive outlier at 38 or 39 he may be 39 I think at this point um, I mean when you look at experienced guys on this side it's like Rebic is 26 I believe 26 and Hakan Ch- Chalhanaglu is 26 as well I think and I think that that's just about about it like we're looking at a team that's full of guys like a lot of guys like a lot of guys who register a lot of minutes or are going to register a lot of minutes and all of them are under the age of 23 uh sandro tonali uh brahim diaz uh uh gigi donorama i believe is only 22 still uh alexis salamakers and rafael both of whom were very good in this game uh salamakers uh especially uh, getting up and down the field uh, Teo Hernandez was very good in this game, especially. Uh, Ishmael Benacer uh, looked really good in the middle of the park, uh, controlling the ball along with Frank Cassie. Uh, yeah, this Milan side has a lot of upside, I think. A lot of upside. Like, if we had an imaginary football stock market, I'd invest in Milan, like, right now. Like, right now. Um, they're definitely good. I don't know if they're great yet. I mean, honestly, I kind of finally believe in this Milan side. Like, 
I think they could be great by the end of the season. Now, will they contend for the title for the for the duration of the season? I'm a little doubtful, but only a little. And I'm only a little doubtful because of their offense. I just don't know where the goals come from outside of Ibrahimovic. Will Leao step up in that regard? Uh, can they get it from their wide players? Uh, I don't know. But this Milan side is very good. And if you haven't watched this particular group of players play yet this season, you definitely should because there is a lot of fun in this side. All right, now that we've got all that out of the way, it's time for the shootout. Uh, this week's shootout is going to be totally Premier League. Uh, we're going to be looking at games that have implications uh, from the top to the bottom. Starting first with West Ham 1, Manchester City 1. Um, I'll start with Manchester City. Um, I don't have a lot of big talking points. Uh, the big thing I took away from this game is that this team struggles when it's not in top form. And that's going to be a problem going forward because what was, what was good about this team uh, uh, around 2017 to 2019 when they won back-to-back titles is that they were able to smother games and control games easily after they smothered said teams. Uh, but they were also able to grind out games by possessing the ball well and snuffing out slash uh, allowing very little chances to the opposing team. Uh, they're not able to do that anymore. Um, if they're not smothering teams, they're struggling, and that's a problem with how uh, shaky their midfield is defensively. Uh, as for West Ham, um, are West Ham good? And I would say yes, only slightly hesitantly. Like I think they have a very high ceiling, but at the very least, they're good. Like I definitely don't see them as relegation candidates. Um, What's hap- I think what's happening at West Ham is that David Moyes has finally had time. Uh, I mean, he hasn't had a lengthy spell at a club since Everton, which literally is almost a decade ago at this point. And so, like, literally, it's almost like he's recreated his Everton team. Uh, Gerard Bowen and Sufal on the right are recreating what he had at Everton on the left with Leighton Baines and Steven Pinar. Uh, Tom Suchek is literally just Marwan Fellaini 2.0. And Mikla... Mikhail Antonio is good. Like he's really good. He's the guy's like really having a like career renaissance as a forward at 29. Like he uses his pace and physicality very well. He holds the ball up well. He links up with his attackers or specifically his wingers very well. The guy's great. Like I'm actually looking forward to what this West Ham team does going forward. I think they could play spoiler to the teams trying to finish fifth and sixth in particular. Um, moving on, our next game is Liverpool 2, Sheffield United 1. Um, Liverpool are going to be fine. Um, Fabinho started in center back for this game, but he did get injured in their midweek Champions League game against Mitjolin, so that will be a problem going forward. That said, Liverpool have the benefit of the doubt here because the rest of the league looks so uncertain right now. But the one thing they have going for them is that their front three continues to be just like incredible and their midfield depth gives them more than enough to work with, especially if Thiago is going to be healthy, then he alone like allows them to control games so well. So 
Yeah, I think they'll be fine. And Sheffield United, you know, they only have one point. But I'm willing to stick my neck out and say that they'll be fine. They need goals to come. But I think they'll be fine? Hmm. You know, okay. I'm looking at the table, and I might have to walk this back oh, five minutes from now. But uh, they're fine, performance-wise. Uh, relegation-wise, uh, I think they have, uh, they'll, have, they'll, they'll have it up against them. Um, the next game I wanted to look at was Southampton 2, Everton 0. No. Um, I think all this game did for me was confirm that Everton are not title challengers. Now, I that could seem harsh off the back of one, like literally one loss. It was their first loss of the season. But um, yeah, the this team, um, it looked great. It's first uh, four, it's first uh, four weeks. Uh, the midfield in particular, of course, with uh, Jaime Rodriguez, uh, Alan, and Decore looked great. Um, but this t- uh, Southampton midfield with uh, Oriol Romeo and James Ward Prowse like was literally able to pass in and around them like so easily. Like I think like if Everton like if Everton had lost and gotten hit on the break like really well, then I would have been like, oh well, I mean it was a smash and grab, but I don't think it was particularly like. Southampton's second goal did come from a, a counterattack, but I don't know. I think Southampton too easily were able to play around their midfield, which was Everton's strength going into the Merseyside Derby. And since then, they've looked a little more shaky. Um, but yeah, Everton are still very much uh, contenders for the top four, I think. Uh, I still have them in my perspective top four, given early season performances. But uh, this is very humbling. But I think it'll be good for them going forward. As for Southampton, um, yeah, of course, they'll be fine. Uh, I think they're a solid mid-table team. Uh, Danny Ings and Che Adams, though, uh, continue to be uh, a very good strike partnership. Like, their chemistry is, like, growing still, I think. All right, so where does that leave us uh, with the Premier League? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that my perspective challenges for the title slash finishing in the European places are... Everton, Liverpool, Leicester, uh, Tottenham, Chelsea, uh, Man City, Man United. So that would be eight teams. And I think there, there are some like teams that are very clearly in mid-table, like shouldn't have any trouble with relegation, but I don't see them having the ceiling to finish in Europe. And for me right now, that's Villa, Leeds, Southampton, Crystal Palace, uh, Wolves, and West Ham. So that leaves us with the teams in the relegation battle. So right now, uh, the teams in the bottom three are Fulham, Sheffield United, and Burnley. And above them are West Brom and Brighton and Fulham. Albion, um, Manchester United in 15th, but it's still early. They'll get more points, uh, but right above them is Newcastle in 14th. Uh, so those would be my six teams. Those are, I believe those are going to be the six teams that are going to be battling, battling uh, relegation uh, throughout the season. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, no offense if you are a Fulham or West Brom supporter, uh, Fulham and West Brom are bad. I 100% expect them to be relegated. Fulham are just straight up bad, like 
not good going forward. Their defense is not good. Like, I don't know. There's nothing to analyze there. They don't control the ball. Yeah, I don't know. There's nothing to analyze there. I'm sorry. Uh, West Brom are bad, but they have two very exciting players in Grady Diangana and Mateus Pereira. And it's a shame because outside of that, they're bad. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they're good enough to even put up a fight to avoid relegation. Because uh, at, at least because at, at Newcastle, you have Steve Bruce, who literally tells his teams to play in like a 10-man low block. And then he hopes someone like Alain Saint-Maximin can get him out of trouble by doing two or three creative things with the very little time his team has on the ball. And I mean, it works. So, I mean, hypothetically, West Brom should be able to do something like that, except they have two players uh, to get on attack with. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This West Brom team defensively is just not good. Uh, Burnley and Sheffield United... I think one of these teams goes down because offensively they're just not that great. Like Burnley really needed uh, like another midfielder or a wide attacker. I mean, frankly, uh, Shundich got done dirty by only getting Dale Stevens, who's a fine a Premier League midfielder, but like I don't know, this team needed not a lot of help going forward, and they're relying a lot on Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood to get them out of trouble, which is a good strike partnership, but you have to get them the ball, and Dwight McNeil isn't uh, getting up the field as well as he was last season. I think just a matter of time for him, like he needs to warm up to the season. But yeah, this team is struggling for goals just a bit right now. But I think it's not as bad as Sheffield United. Like, at least with Burnley, I can I have some confidence in a combination of McNeil, uh, Barnes, and Wood. Uh, I don't know with, in, with Sheffield United. Um, we have yet to see with Ryan Brewster. Um, I'm not a big believer in Ollie Burke or Ollie McBurney. For that matter, I mean, Billy Sharp is still getting minutes, and that's no offense to Billy Sharp, but yeah, Enda Stevens and George Baldock are not are not getting forward and finding success on the break as they were uh, last season. Um, I think they're, I don't think they're in real trouble, but of the teams left, the only other team I haven't. Uh, mentioned in my relegation tier is Brighton Novalbian. Like, I think Brighton are good, at least. Yeah, uh, to finish up on Sheffield. Like, they could be in trouble, I think. Like, in my perspective table, they're 18th. I don't know where I put Brighton, but I definitely wouldn't put them in the bottom three. Um, call me biased all you want, but I think Brighton, Brighton is a very good team. Uh, in possession, they're really good on the ball. Uh, Neil Mopé is one of the best uh, strikers outside of the top six. Um, the midfield is interesting because 
Graham Potter still has Pascal Gross, but he very clearly prefers Yves Basuma and Steven Alzate. Uh, Basuma, I think, is just a, a defensive thing. Basuma is very solid defensively, and his passing isn't that bad. Uh, Alzate is... I think with Alzate, it's just he has more legs than Gross. So he prefers the legs of Alzate over Gross. Although I don't understand why you wouldn't play Gross and Alzate. Although I don't know if he's also I also don't know if he's played uh Gross, Basuma, and Alzate together. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh I like what Grand Potter's doing at Brighton. He's doing a lot with uh with not a lot of resources. Oh, and of course Tarek Lamptey is great. He's brilliant. He's real fun to watch, uh getting up and dribbling from the from right back. Um, he still has the Trent Alexander-Arnold problem, which is he leaves a gigantic gap in behind him when he goes to attack. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think Brian are fine. I think they'll be fine. And that was it for this week's episode of The Fields. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. Uh, don't forget to follow us on our socials at The Fields Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I will try to be more active in the following weeks. Uh, of course, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on whatever uh, podcast hosting platform you prefer. And don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and to share it with your friends and family if you loved what you heard. Uh, the rating and or sharing will help with the growth of the show so much. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Uh, This is Emilio Calderon signing off. Have a great rest of your week. Cheers.